You're listening to episode 137 of the Tennis Files podcast. How using tennis technology can improve your game with Alex Johansson. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. My name is Mirban Aranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top coaches, pros, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I've got a fun interview with Alex Johansson, who is also known as the Tennis Techie. And I've seen his work uh, previously, and then I saw him speaking in Orlando at the uh, racket and paddle show, I think it was conference, I guess you'd call it. And uh, he did a great job outlining a lot of different really cool uh, tech-based tools that we can use to improve our tennis game. And I think it's really important generally to always be analyzing and reviewing what we're actually doing on the court uh, by way of video and other tracking mechanisms so that we can really make tangible what is going on as far as our game, uh, what's working, what's not, winning strategies, losing strategies, our technique, and so forth. And so that's why I brought on Alex to talk about the different uh, technologies that we have today. There's certain tech that maybe have not been as developed as they should be up to this point, and so we're, you know, we're behind uh, certain sports and, and whatnot, but nevertheless, there's still some great tech out there that we can use to improve our tennis game. In particular, I like to use PlaySight, and Alex and I talk about PlaySight as well on the show, and I'll actually link to you a, uh, a link <laughs> that will uh, help you locate PlaySight courts around your area. So if you don't know what that is, then you will learn about it in this episode. And so with tech, you'll be able to track your stats and track your technique, and uh, and it's a lot simpler than you think. So that's one really important point that you should take from this episode is that to really get started in analyzing your game, it doesn't take much. It's not a huge change. You just need to take a couple really simple steps at the most, you know, purchase like one additional tool rel- relatively cheap and... Uh, such as a tripod, and and just go for it. So it'll make a huge difference in your game. It'll be eye-opening, and I hope this episode is eye-opening for you as well. So without further ado, here is my interview with Alex Johansson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Falls podcast. It's really a pleasure and an honor to have Alex Johansson on the podcast. Uh, he is a tech guru. I actually uh, saw his presentation in Orlando at the uh, Racket uh, and Paddle Show uh, conference uh, in Orlando a couple months ago and really impressed by all his work. I've, I've seen his work before that as well. And uh, if you want to know about uh, tech and uh, how it relates to improving your tennis game, 
Alex is the man when it comes to that. So, uh, Alex, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no worries at all. And thank you very much. And thank you for everything you're doing for, for the tennis industry. It's awesome. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, you too. I mean, it's always great to see people who are so passionate about the game and uh, going everywhere and speaking and and really informing us about what's going on. So uh, I want to ask you a question, which I read on your your profile, uh, and it's certainly not like an anti-tech question, but I wanted you to comment on, on the quote that you have, which is, technology tools should be an amplifier of old school hard work. So what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is is really I've seen since I started trying to use technology productively, that uh, uh, we tend to, when we go towards technology, not necessarily respect the work that has been done already, all the trial and tribulations in terms of processes and things that a generation before us have have figured out along the way. So, so for me, it's very important to take that into account and try to uh, I think I feel for my generation to bridge uh, the older knowledge with the new capabilities of the technology and, uh, and therefore make it truly productive and amplify the things that we're doing and doing them in a, in a, in a better way versus versus feeling like we got to do everything completely differently. Yes just because it's tech. That's right. Yeah, and it's it's exciting for me to have you on because I think, you know, a lot of amateurs, especially players, like they maybe they're uncomfortable with exploring it and they they don't know where to start and so that's why I'm going <laughs> to ask you some questions. Actually, related to that, yeah. If you were a, an amateur tennis player, you know, you're playing USA leagues or tournaments and you you never really used tech in, or implemented it in any way, uh, where would you actually advise that they start uh, with, with tennis tech? Well, I think any kind of basic statistics that you could get, whether that would be, uh, you know, maybe making an arrangement with a, with a teammate that uh, I will do stats for you, you do stats for me with, with a, a simple application on the phone. There's many, many of them out there. Try to find one that's really simple to you, um, and uh, and video. If you haven't done any video, I mean the cell phone is extremely powerful today. So just using your your basic iPhone, you get the really nice slow motion, and and very often it doesn't look the way it feels. So you can figure some things out. So th- those would be the two basic things that I would that I would look at if, if uh, you haven't done anything like it. So as far as using uh, technology, I just want to clarify for the audience, you know, who, again, may may not know anything about it. Like what type of benefits have you seen your players that you've trained uh, get as a result of uh, using technology in their games? Yeah, I would say when it comes to video, very many players I find are very visual and they very, very often learn from watching others and when they see themselves uh, in some kind of with some kind of frequency, then they can uh, make adjustments, and it's helpful to them uh, to see that part. Um, statistics that is uh, basically very eye-opening sometimes because we tend to feel a certain way, and uh, it's not always reflected in the stats. It's kind of like uh, one thing I tend to tell my players uh, on the court is if, if you get burned one time down the line in doubles, uh, well, it feels terrible. It almost feels like 10 points, but it was still only one point, right? So, so I think in line with that, seeing your actual stats does make a difference for most people 
and then you can obviously start tracking your progress which in this sport because it's not like swimming or running where we have that tangible thing of i am improving by this much uh, having anything tangible in terms of actual stats and and seeing a progression there uh, tends to help quite a few players awesome stuff alex so if you were to pick maybe like one or two apps that you think competitive tennis players should should actually use and it, maybe it's a tough question because there's a lot but which apps would you suggest that we go on our phone right now and check out uh well i've quite honestly when it comes to uh, uh video analysis for your own stroke production uh, i would start with a simple uh with a simple iphone you even have the drawing tools on it uh so that would uh, that would definitely recommend. There are others I I tend to use like Coach's Eye because that's still fairly simple, and and it's really it's really to me it's so much about the simplicity. Right. And uh, and unfortunately, as as companies get big, uh, it tends to get more complicated. So st- stick with what's simple and what works for you. If you want to get more intricate, by all means, go there. Dartfish. Uh, has a nice feature of the screenshots, which um, which I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Uh, so yeah, try try to find one of those that work. Uh, apart from that, you start looking into. I think for individual players, that would probably be my main ones. You start looking into uh, player management applications potentially. That's a little bit more for uh, for academy settings and and coaches. Yeah, that 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 would be where I would start. In terms of statistics apps, there there are so many out there. I don't really want to recommend any any in particular. <laughs> I would uh, I, I would I would go through them. I mean, you can download uh, most of them and get and get a test right. So uh, again, I would look for simplicity. Gotcha. Pre- uh, and some something you feel like you could actually continue continuously doing because what does tend to happen is. You see something, oh, this looks really intricate and, and uh, extensive, and that's great. But then you'll do it one time, or your buddy only wants to do it one time for you <laughs> because it, cause it's too much Yeah, uh, and, and too burdensome. So. Yeah, great advice. I mean, it's the same with like anything else. Like, say if you say, "Oh, I want to start working out," and you you create like a two hour a day workout plan, you know, you're not going to stick with it. So, uh, yeah. appreciate that. And just curious too, uh, Alex, like, what would be the main differences between like just using the iPhone or or Android uh, versus uh, an app like Coach's Eye or or Dartfish? Well, you'll have some you'll have some other tools. You you can do angles and things like that so uh, again it's about if you want to get more more intricate and and if that's what you want to do on a consistent basis um, they have storage options now so it's a little bit easier and you can start tagging certain things so you can go back and and filter through it so in, in terms of the storage which you do have to pay some for um, that's that's a plus and then these other uh, these other options. You also have the options of comparing to uh, maybe yourself in the past or uh, a professional player. You can pull up YouTube and things like that. There's actually import feature uh, at least in Coach's Eye for from from YouTube where you can compare yourself to somebody. So so you do get more bells and whistles for sure with those ones um, if if you want to go there. 
Awesome. Yeah, you read my mind, Alex, because the next question I was going to ask you was, you know, what's an easy way to, to split screen and look for at one versus the other? So um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, one, actually, uh, I don't know if it's like too much of a tech question, but it, does it matter like what speed we uh, record our play at and also like frames per second? Because, you know, on cameras, at least they have different FPS settings. Yeah. So I'm I'm. I'm, for me, I'm very practical and I'm all about what actually happens and, and true progress, etc. Right. So I, I'm, I'm not inherently very technical. I uh, obviously uh, the more frames per second, the more details you're going to be able to see. Most of the time, that's not there's no drawback. There's more storage depending on how you use it and uh, etc. Uh, but for me, regular uh, even 30. I mean, definitely 60 frames per second is is more than enough for me. It, it's all good. And I, I'll be honest with you, this is a slight tangent, but I, in one way, sometimes I miss the days when resolution was really bad because, <laughs> because then you would see when things accelerated because it got blurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we don't, we don't, unfortunately, don't have that anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I guess so you by, can, like, by, yeah, by most, retro. most of them are going to be good enough. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I guess we could find like a crappy camera somewhere, but um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, makes well, sense. It, so it, it would be a good idea for for somebody to pull down on that, and uh, so you can see the blur a little bit. Actually. Yeah, new business idea, yeah. uh, but um, good good stuff, uh, Alex. Again, and uh, as far as um, so you mentioned that the two two huge areas are are video analysis and statistics and so to go along with statistics i think um you know as far as like the sensors on the rackets and so forth uh to track our stats i was wondering uh you know what's still out there and like which ones you recommend that we maybe check out uh yeah so that is that has overall to me been been a disappointing area Mm -hmm. uh and not pointing any fingers but essentially Universal ones that were pretty productive. Uh, there was one in particular that I kind of liked, which was called Clip. Uh, you can still get it out there on Amazon, I think, really cheap, and I believe their app is still functioning. Uh, but they they are no longer uh, selling uh, and, and developing, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that was that was one that you could put uh, put in as a uh, vibration absorber. Uh, so it was universal. Uh, obviously, it changed the weight of the racket, which was a problem. And uh, and I I guess adoption hasn't been good enough for them unfortunately. But so so today uh, what I see is is the built-in options. I personally and and disclosure I do I do uh, hit with a head racket, uh, but but I do think uh, right now as far as I'm aware that they have probably the best solution. Uh, but then you have to have a head racket, so that's that's the inherent issue there. There there is actually. There's actually a lot of really productive features, I feel, in this. And uh, just like anything else, uh, it's not super accurate. Now, like head, it's kind of a 2.0 sensor. Uh, so they're a little bit more accurate. But, uh, uh, and, 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 they, and they do have, you know, basic things as, as speed, a good idea of how much spin uh, you get on the ball. I mean, th- these are very simple tangible things that you can now see on an iPad right in front of you as you're hitting. So if uh, I, I guess I should have said that if you're an amateur and you have a racket like that, uh, 
I don't know enough about the Babylon one, unfortunately. But if, if you do have a head racket, I mean, you could you could potentially put your phone or an iPad up there and get immediate feedback and and try to tweak it, you know. Uh, so so that's that to me is something uh, potentially very user user friendly and uh, and productive. Cool. And Alex, why do you think the kind of racket sensor industry isn't doing as well as it could be? Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, many racket companies have essentially created it and to tick the box that we're doing technology. Mm. Uh, there hasn't there hasn't been uh, to me uh, any any serious effort of getting this down to ground level uh, in player development. It's it seems to be coming from top down uh, versus from what actually happens on the court moving upward. So I, I, I do think if that ever gets reversed, that we will see, uh, could potentially see an explosion in it because because there's, there's very little buy-in. You got a few weekend warriors out there <laughs> that, that, that start using one, but, um, but, it, but it's not in big numbers, unfortunately. And then, so then they don't see a reason to invest in it and uh, it goes back to square one. Mm. That's unfortunate. So, I mean, you have, you know, you have these couple options here, like Clip, which still, you know, they don't sell anymore, but you can get off a third-party site, and then the head uh, solution, and then some others that maybe aren't so great. But, um, and then you have, like, Play Site, I guess, but that costs a lot. So, I was wondering, is there any other uh, statistic tracking solution besides, like, the low-end or high-end that is still kind of accessible for players at the moment? So tracking in terms of uh, video, maybe? Is that what you well, mean? Y- well, yeah, I get, well, no, I, I guess I meant more of like, you know, you it tracks your stats, like the speed spin and stuff. Is there anything else out there besides no, PlaySight? Or- no, okay. so I've, I've actually have talked to some companies, you know, that are doing things like um, uh, potentially baseball and, and uh, mainly golf uh, that, that have uh, cameras that, that track the speed, the trajectory, etc., and they have not. They don't think that the tennis market is big enough, so they have not take, taken it on. So mm-hmm. you're you're right. The next step is a is a video based system that's uh, now in you know an entire smart court where there there are, there is a lot of players there trying trying to figure it out with with one camera and just an iPhone and what have you. That's that's still fairly inaccurate. So. Uh, there's there's a lot of work going on in that area right now, but yeah. So in terms of low cost, we're 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 still at those sensors, whatever is left out there, and uh, you know, Babolat and what have you. Gotcha, gotcha, Alex. Uh, oh, and the the Babolat one is that universal also or no? For all rackets. Well, I uh, I believe they they still have the the wristband. Uh-huh. I think it's called Pop. Uh-huh. So so that one, I think they went went very social with that, as far as I understood. Um, and not sure that worked out that well in terms of sales, uh, but I still think that product is alive. And then they have the built one in the built-in one that uh, that Rafa is possibly placed with. Gotcha, Alex. So in terms of um, physical training, uh, like you know, if we're on on court training, like sprinting or what have you, drills, um, or maybe in the gym, uh, what what wearables would you maybe suggest that that we use for that there's quite a few out there 
I I like in terms of overall workload. I like uh, Whoop. Um, I have no f- affiliation with them, but they're they're good in terms of just measuring your your sleep and uh, and your workload. And it's and it's very simplistic. So essentially, you wake up in the morning, you have a number that tells you that you're in the green and ready to work hard, or you're in the red and you're probably about to get sick, uh, or in between. And and, and that's 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 simple and uh, and it's neat. Now, when it comes to specifics um, and uh, and measuring different things in your workouts, there is there is a lot out there. So there's not nothing in particular that I could point to um, at this point. Sure, sure. And then the Whoop, like, what is the, what does it look like? Is it like um, uh, looks like a Fitbit or something? Is that what it is? Yeah, it it, it looks like a like a thin light uh, watch essentially, a wristband. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, gotcha. And have you heard of um? I think when I was perusing just like tech, there was something called like the ring or something. It's like a ring that you wear. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Any yeah. thoughts on that? Have you tried that? Uh, I, no, I, I have no idea. Gotcha. Uh, and and the re- the reason I haven't gone there is is simply um, because of holding holding the racket and and rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great yeah. point, actually. Great point. Um, so as far as I mean, we did talk a little bit about like the the basic stats, but I just wanted to make sure I cover the bases. So like what, when we're looking at our statistics, uh, what, what do you think are like some of the most important statistics for competitive players besides, I think you said like, uh, speed and spin. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think it's it very, very much depends on the player. And I think, I think it's, it's a very individual thing. I think, I think it's, uh, looking into your own stats. I mean, uh, you you want to have a fairly high first serve percentage generally. Uh, now that 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 could change depending on if you're seven feet tall or or five feet tall. But uh, uh, but that's that's a good one. You you want to obviously according to all the all the professional stats that are out there and and it's and it's going all the way down in the ages. You want to be very good when it comes to the shorter points because. That's what most points are. They're they're short. Now that doesn't mean you should ignore the longer points because very often those those um, weigh a little bit heavier mentally on players. So that, so they're um, they're important that way. But uh, for for me, if you can, you want to use something where you can connect your data to video, and then go in and filter through it or if a coach can do that for you and then starting to uh, to draw lines essentially and look look for consistent behavior that's that's positive or negative and uh, and and see what what those commonalities are if you if you if you can if you can figure that out let's say let's say i have 10 missed backhands in a match completely unforced errors and that and that looks uh, looks like it's too high for me and I go in and I can actually play those points one after another and I realize well I'm in this area of the court I'm moving to this area of the court uh, eight out of these ten times now now you found something that you can actually truly work on so 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 if you can do that to me that's ideal but yeah the 
those basic stats, high percentage first serve. Gotcha. Obviously, I don't want to have too many unforced errors. Uh, that ratio has got to be pretty good. And when, when, when it does come to, so speaking on that, when it comes to unforced versus forced errors, that's uh, very subjective. It's very difficult for, uh, to, <laughs> well, you can't really be accurate in it because either you're going to have algorithms uh, making the call for you uh, and some, somebody created those algorithms, uh, or you're going to have a person that believes this is an unforced error, error this is not, and I might think differently of it. So, mm -hmm. so just looking at the, at the total amount of errors versus uh, winners is, is probably to prefer. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, it seems like um, that's a, it's a tough call. So like, does the ATP and WTA, do they have like a, a definition and then it's like uh, implemented very uh, consistently across the board for forced versus unforced? Uh, I don't, I don't know in, in between the different systems personally, uh, but, but for sure each one has, has some specific algorithms set. Gotcha. Gotcha, Alex. So you mentioned that like the, the best thing to do would be to connect data to video and, you know, sorry if I'm going back to like the whole, uh, like clip and whatnot but what's our option right now for players to connect the data to the video like does does um this clip and uh and the head sensor do they uh track like unforced errors and stuff like it, it would you recommend like connecting that data from those uh devices to to like a coach's eye or dart fish uh that would be that would be a very complicated complicated way to do it i think uh, you you have some options where you can do partial things. Uh, I know with a head one, but um, but no, I, it, it would essentially be either you would have to be on a smart court, which when it comes to that, I think mm -hmm. um, a, ver a very simple thing to do would be try to find if you don't have a smart court in your club, try to find a find a location and just set up a match with somebody that's very even with you. Uh, you play one match on that, and uh, and you and you'll have if mm -hmm. if if it's anywhere close to your average performance, uh, and your part your uh, opponent's average performance, now you'll have a really good baseline. I mean, if you if you've never done that, and you and you're spending a lot of time on a tennis court trying to improve, then <laughs> do it ASAP. So so yeah, you had that option, and the other option is to uh, essentially. Uh, video yourself and then upload it to a service uh, online that will that will tag it for you got it and how much could it potentially cost like say if i wanted to play a, a match against my friend or a tour you know up record a tournament uh, match and then i wanted to upload it to a site like that and they would spit out the data like what is the the cost of that yeah, I, I would say uh, we're we're down under a hundred dollars. Okay, and it, and it, it completely depends on what you're using, right? Okay. But uh, I think I think it'd be fair to say in most places it's about the price of one lesson. Okay, and yep. uh, and and this is an interesting topic in itself, mm -hmm. dealing with junior junior players, uh, which is what I do on a daily basis. It's that. It's starting to shift a little bit now. There's starting to be a little bit of fear of missing out from parents and players, I feel. But uh, from experience, the average parent rather has uh, their daughter or son have one more lesson, even if they have 60 lessons in a year, 
than doing 59 lessons and one video analysis mm -hmm. if you if you ask them to pay for it up front if you if you uh, if you build it in to your program no problem and they see the value mm. so it, it's 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 still a little bit like pulling teeth to get people to just get that baseline that one match baseline you know and why what's the reason like what have you heard from the parents like why they don't want to do it they're uh i've, I've never heard a good explanation <laughs> okay I, I i haven't i mean it, it it is you know across the country it's it's sporadic you have some very particular coaches doing some of this uh with the kids and and some academies but it's not that common yet so i i feel it's uh, it, it just hasn't tipped tipped over yet but uh, I, I, th I think it's getting there, and I, and I think I actually think smart courts is is what's going to have to to push it, because universities have been doing it for a long time now. It hasn't really trickled down into juniors, but I think as more courts get equipped and players go to tournaments and 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 they'll get one of these if they ask for it, then then people really start understanding the benefit of it. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, people need to know, you know, realize the true benefits, which are amazing. Uh, this could be a dumb question, but hey, when we upload the video to the site, uh, and you mentioned like algorithms before, but yep. it, is it all like computerized or does somebody actually like look through everything and mark it and then make the stats? No, um, as far as I know, um, everyone still has manual labor involved. Oh, okay. Yeah, there, 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 there are some that only use manual labor. They tend to be more expensive. And then there are others that use a combination. So they run the algorithm mm. and then they go in and check for, uh, for quality, essentially. Got it. Uh, do, you, do you have a particular recommendation as to whether it's worth it to use the, the one that's a combination or, you know, the more expensive one versus cheaper one? Uh, my, my take on that is... Uh, if you was if you want one run through and baseline, I think, I think the the complete one, uh, like like that okay. is a good idea. Um, if you plan on, you know, doing more of them and you want to be more consistent with them, me personally, as mm -hmm. as a developmental coach and junior coach, I don't mind a little bit of errors. Uh, I. I, I want I want to see the trends and I want to and I want to see the the gross things and 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 also if I if I can go in to the video then I I will see what's going on. Got it. So even so even if there was a mistake in the actual stats, uh, I'll figure that out through the video and I'll still see the common thread between the misses or when when they built really good points etc. 
So Alex, I also wanted to ask you, uh, you know, with your players, I'm curious, like, cause, cause you obviously you're the, uh, director of New England Tennis Academy. So like, can kind of give us maybe like a, a day to day of, um, of like w- what you're doing with your players in terms of like what tech is set up and, and what they're using. Yeah. Uh, we, we use uh, smart court for a review quite frequently for, um, uh, just just uh, in the middle of a drill or or after a drill and that's just really immediate video feedback but it's always there so we we don't we don't actually pull out the iPad for that anymore because we do have a smart court with a big screen so do that um, we use a TV a really large one uh, with a little Apple TV that was streamed from the phone uh, very often we use that in uh, when we talk about um, the theme that we're going to work around, uh, maybe it's an example of you know an inspiring example of of a feather or something like that, doing it exceptionally, and what have you. And then um, I like to every now and then uh, set up a video loop, and most of the time there will be no coach by by the video loop, so that will be a, a big iPad. And um, they're running through some kind of a drill, and uh, and they can go and watch themselves right afterwards what they just performed, and then go right back out and do it. Uh, I, I really enjoy that one. And then at uh, certain tournaments, we try to grab some footage and put them to stats. And um, and same same thing with uh, the pl- the players can um, have some practice matches on the on the weekends. So ev- every so often. They will uh, they will get um, their stats and video uploaded to their their own individual page. So, so some of the players have quite a few videos in there now, and they can start seeing their their progress. That's et really cool. And uh, yep. that's awesome, Alex. So, that, so that's pretty much where where we're at, and and it's uh, yeah, like I said, for for me, it's it's, it's not about have, having it out there. I I do a lot of experimentation because I want I want to figure it out and see what can be productive uh, but um, but it's about that it's about productivity at the end of the day cool cool and uh, Alex with the video analysis I was wondering and I actually saw a really great article that I'll link to in the show notes page about uh, taking video and t- practical tips for taking video but what are a couple key tips or maybe like mistakes that people make when they when they create video um, that that you can just talk to us about uh, yeah, for technical video analysis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just for setting it up, uh, setting up the camera or smartphone, and taking a serve video or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, you know you you want to have a decent angle. Uh, you want to make sure of that. Uh, so if you're only going to do one angle, I will do it from uh, somewhat the side, about forty-five degrees uh, from the front. Mm. Um, if if you do the serve, I think ideal is from the side and from the back. Mm-hmm. With dual perspective, and uh, and then try try to make sure that your background is not busy. Uh, I think that's pretty important, and uh, try to get the entire motion in there. Other than that, uh, really nothing in particular. I mean, when I when I do it on a daily basis, I just simply do it with a phone, and uh, and most of the time I do it in the in the slow motion mode. And uh, and that w- that works very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, if you have if you have a large TV on the court with a 
Apple TV or, or something else, they can link to it, then you can you can take it, you walk up to it and scroll through it in slow motion and go right back out. It really doesn't take any any extra time. Great stuff, Alex. And uh, just, I don't know if this varies, but how frequently would you suggest that we actually uh, video ourselves, you know, for the average competitive adult player? Oh, the average adult player. Um, well, I think... You know, get get that uh, get that baseline, and then I I would I would honestly leave it up to that player if they feel like okay I probably have improved a little bit now then I'll do another one, uh, and I and I I do think that could vary quite a bit. You know, if you if you're very experienced and you play for a long time, then maybe it takes a little bit longer, and uh, and if you're new to the game, then maybe you can pick it up real quick and and uh, more frequent interval is. Got it. And uh, as far as like videoing a match, like let's say if we're unable to put the camera on the court or use a tripod and put it on the court, or maybe we just feel it's not really safe, uh, maybe we'll get knocked down. Like what what gear or how do you suggest we set up the camera? Yeah. So to start with on that one, as as a general rule, wherever I am, um, I I would well first off it needs to be yes. Um, allowed per uh, per the homepage of the tournament, which uh, uh, it, it sometimes it, it has not been. Um, and then uh, I will make sure with the opponent, or if the opponent is a minor, make sure with the parent uh, that it is okay. And then uh, there is uh, there is a couple couple of different mounts out there. The most common one uh, I can uh, I can give you that, so you can put it in the show notes if you like. Um, it's uh, it's simple. It's a telescoping one uh, that you can hang on a fence or on a curtain. So cool. Yeah. So cool. so you can and then and then you can attach whatever camera you want. And uh, that's great. So even indoors, you can use it. Yes. Yes. It it, it it's tricky sometimes for it not to tilt, but uh, it, it'll work in most most in- instances. Yeah. Nice. And that's compatible with like. Uh, camera or even like a dslr or mirrorless type of thing or is that more just a phone yeah i know you you can you can mount anything on it it's cool. it's like a regular mount at the at the top of it if you will so yes anything. so alex is there any particular tech you know besides what you're developing but you could talk about that too like any tech coming out that you are really excited for and if so like what area of of tennis relations is that or related <laughs> yeah no i'm uh i think that there's there's nothing well i i i'm involved with something that, that hopefully uh, um, a lot of people will enjoy uh, that's essentially an interactive wall um so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of the backboard 2.0 it's so, pretty cool i tested that out at the yeah, uh, conference yeah. it's pretty fun yeah, so we're we're looking forward to that one and see see what we can do with that one. Uh, but uh, I think when it comes to video analysis, and I'm going there again because it's the most adopted thing by by the average tennis coach. There is there are people looking into trying to essentially map the body. So you essentially get an overlay of the skeleton of the of the body and and the points. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting to me because that that will they'll go into then to me video analysis 2.0 if you will where where we where we can see what's actually happening kind of inside the body as as you're hitting and I'm excited about that like I said because 
people are already using uh, video analysis on the court. So I, I can see that actually actually working out and people starting to adopt it. Awesome. Good stuff, Alex. And I know we talked about like uh, wearables for like physical fitness and whatnot. And so you mentioned uh, Whoop. I was wondering, like, are there any other apps that you like in general that like are fitness training based or like in the gym or even something like keeping track of workouts, anything like that? Yeah, no, I'll be honest with you. Um, our off court guy is, uh, is in charge of all of that. Uh, and, and, yeah. and he, he does it individually with the players and we communicate about basically where they're at with the workload. And, uh, and for, for us, that's sufficient for what we're doing. Yeah, I mean that's a great point, you know, just finding experts yeah who who really know uh, you know, deeply what they're doing instead of like trying to be a one-stop shop for everything, you know, as a coach. So, Alex, uh where can people learn more about what you're doing and check out all the cool articles and so forth that you have uh that you've written? Yeah, uh well, tennistechie.com and uh, that all started in uh on Facebook. So, I actually have probably more material and uh, and in terms of news and frequent updates it will be on on Facebook because the majority of the uh, coaching population is still on Facebook so mm-hmm. so that, that's, uh, that's where, where we're doing it so so yeah uh, and uh, and like I said I'm I'm really in it for uh, ad- trying to advance our sports uh, and using technology. You know, today I've, I've talked a lot about what I think, you know, can be a next step, which doesn't seem very revolutionary in any sense. Uh, but I mean, there are people out there working on really high level stuff right now. I mean, there's essentially AI coaches, there's there's VR, and uh, I've tried I've tried some of this stuff. Even the VR, it's uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of mind blowing what they can do. But to make any of these uh, futuristic things truly applicable to the average coach, average player. Uh, I, be, I believe most of it is going to take quite some time. Yeah, yeah, time and effort and passion for it. Uh, and by the way, um, you, the academy that you teach at, where is that exactly located? Uh, we're in Natick, right outside of Boston. Cool. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a neat area. I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, good kids and uh, some forward-thinking people. That I, that I get to spend some time with, so it's very, very nice, and I have I'm so proud of the team. I have really good people, so it's nice. That's amazing, and it and this is funny for me because uh, the previous episode of the podcast was uh, with Mike Boyle. Uh, it uh-huh. it still isn't out, you know, at this time that we're recording, but uh, and he's obviously like a, probably a few miles away from you. So, yeah. um, really amazing, uh, you know, fitness coach, but. Uh, so, Alex, I want to ask you this question that I use to close the uh, the show um, pretty much every time, and I'll tailor it to, to your expertise, of course. So what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them uh, improve their tennis game uh, from a tennis tech standpoint? Well, I, th- I think number one is experiment a little bit. Uh, if, you, if you experiment now uh, with technology uh, and, and your game, video, you uh, you're you're still ahead of most people, so so don't don't wait until you feel like you absolutely have to, and do not be intimidated. I mean, I can the way it used to be uh, in order to try to get things accomplished, 
it, it used to be very, very complicated and difficult, and you had to know a lot of things. And now, if you if you want to go in and search all your 400 errors and get back-to-back -back video of that, you can you can figure that out and have that done in a week without spending much time at all. Uh, the the entire process of that. So don't be intimidated and uh, and uh, see if you can make it happen if you if you want to because it's not complicated. And uh, I'll be happy to answer any any questions at all on tennistechie.com uh, if you have any to help you out. But yeah, go for it. Awesome, Max. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for the great advice and the really eye opening. Uh, you know. Uh, just teaching about uh, all things tech. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I play every other Sunday uh, at a club that is fortunate enough to have play site. And I always look forward yep. to the reports and watching the matches. And that's a big part of, uh, you know, my, my friends and I will, will exchange like uh, comments and, oh, you did this on this point and so forth. And so video analysis and, and stats and everything is, is huge. So uh, thanks a lot for everything you're doing for the sport. We definitely need more of that, more advancement and more uh, buy-in into it. So appreciate it, Alex. And thanks a lot for coming onto the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. And again, thank you for everything you're doing. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Alex Johansson. I highly encourage you to check out TennisTechie.com to check out the articles and other interviews that he's done and gear and so forth. And really appreciate Alex for coming onto the show and spreading his knowledge about the area of tennis tech with us. And as I mentioned, all the uh, links, including that link to uh, the play site court locator, will be on the show notes page at tennisfiles.com slash 137 or alternatively tennisfiles.com slash podcast and then you can check out uh, all the episodes and their show notes below and uh, I'll just give you that playside link right now uh, if you want to check it out immediately it's my.playsite.com slash courts and it'll be in the show notes description uh, also in the apps as well because I believe that when you click on the Tennis Files podcast episodes, they have the description, including the links. So, But if not, then go to those other two links that I mentioned, one of them at least. And yeah, looking at this map, it looks like there's a lot of courts in the East Coast, uh, quite a few in the West, but there's it's still a little bit spotty. So in that case, you know, you, you definitely want to resort to some of the other solutions that we mentioned on the show, including taking video of yourself playing and then submitting it to some sort of site that will analyze your statistics and of course super easy really really easy just use your phone and if you need to a tripod uh, or uh, I'll also link to one of those uh, devices where you can hang your phone or camera on the fence and just doing that a uh, very small investment if needed you can start to see what's really going on. You can then take that video and post it online. Uh, you can you can post it on in the Tennis Files Facebook page. Just search Tennis Files and, and feel free to post it there. And and I and other people in the group will comment on it and give you some advice. And uh, also, you can take that video to coaches that you uh, that are you know you're taking lessons from or that you're going to find that are high quality coaches. Great stuff there from Alex, and I would also really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, and you can do that by just hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app that you use to listen to the Tennis Files podcast, 
and it would get all the episodes uh, published straight to your app and your device as soon as they're published on my end versus having to look for them manually. And it would also really help the visibility of the show and the rankings, which just, you know, obviously helps more people see it, which is a good thing because I believe that, you know, all these great pieces of advice from my guests are going to really help people in their game and really appreciate all the kind messages that you all have given me, uh, sent via email and post on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth about how useful you've found these episodes. Uh, it's it's That's what keeps me going for sure. And I'm working really hard on Tennis Summit 2020, getting some really great guests, making some big adjustments to the sessions and tailoring them to uh, what you want and what you've told me in the uh, the surveys that I, I sent out that you filled out, which I really appreciate as well. I'm constantly trying to evolve and make the content that I create uh, as best fitting for you and as easily consumable as possible. So keep those suggestions coming and also any suggestions that you might have for people to come on the summit, you know, who you want to see. Uh, I'm obviously bringing back some people who are continuing to do fantastic work and were great on Tennis Summit 2019 and, and my previous two before that, and then some new people as well that I think you'll really enjoy. Uh, but I'm always looking for suggestions slash introductions too. If you know somebody, uh, just shoot me an email at mirabon at com. That's M E H R B A N at T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com. Ah, I'm glad I can still spell correctly at my advanced age of 34. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I really would appreciate that. And, you know, obviously uh, some speakers are harder to get than others. I've gotten some requests for Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. I mean, I think they're, they're pretty busy. I will still <laughs> try, but... <laughs> You know, keep your expectations low on certain very highly uh, touted people in the tennis media world today and media in general. But I, regardless, I appreciate any and all suggestions that you think would bring great value to yourself and the tennis player, uh, competitive tennis player audience who's passionate about the game. All right. Well, I will leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the day or end of the episode, rather. And this one is by Henry Van Dyke. And Henry said, use what talents you possess. The woods would be very silent if no birds sang there except those that sang best. And that's really great. I think that speaks to the the fear of you need to be perfect in order to go out there. For example, you know, perhaps there's a tournament or two out there that you want to play, but you think, oh, I'm not prepared and it's going to affect my ranking or whatever. And, you know, to some extent, that's fine. Like, obviously, you want to be able to prepare a little bit but if you don't go and take the leap and do something until you're like 100% pleased with every part of your game then you'll pretty much almost never play tournaments and then you'll never test yourself it's much better to just get out there and and play and then assess what happens so that you can get better and it's you know I was just talking with my friend uh, David uh, from MCTA and we were talking about the development of his son's game and we both agreed that, you know, he's 14 and at this point it's just way more important for him to be learning the the essentials and, and to develop his game and not worry so much about 
all winning and losing. I lost today. I won today. Uh, there's a lot of variables that go into each match. It's just more about, uh, you know, how well you competed. And then also, of course, what you're improving upon, what you need to improve, what areas of your game are you developing, your technique, your strategy, and so forth. So, yeah, that's the name of the game, just improving and trying to ignore a lot of extraneous factors and pulls that often influence us and uh, negatively and put fear into our minds and so forth. So I hope that spiel there made some sense to you and motivated you there. But for me, back to working on the summit now and uh, really looking forward to play some more tennis. I'm on a three-match winning streak in the USCA League, so it feels good. And uh, I'm continuing to try to improve my game and really working on my body as well. Uh, you know, another spiel, but as, as we advance in age, as, as I talked about with uh, with Mike Boyle on episode 136, you know, you've really got to focus on your mobility. So I'm working on my mobility constantly and taking uh, yoga classes at work, and uh, which I'm very fortunate to, to have and have access to and doing a lot of one-legged uh, exercises to gain stability, uh, especially with my left knee having uh, some prior issues, you know, it's harder to balance on the left knee uh, and, and leg, which translates to, you know, maybe a, a weaker backhand uh, it, on that side, unless I'm constantly working on that mobility and the, uh, you know, strength and whatnot, and, and being strategic about my workouts and not just like, you know, squatting and, and benching and deadlifting only, but also working on those small muscles. All right, with that... <laughs> I am bidding you adieu and uh, really looking forward to another great episode next week for you. So really hope you enjoyed this one. All the best to you. Contact me if you have any questions or need anything. And uh, all the best. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast and on Tennis Summit 2020 in late April. Subscribe to my newsletter if you want to hear more about that and get the latest. All right. All the best to you all. Take care. Keep improving your tennis game. This is Mirban signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.